Hello, world, and welcome to this episode of the Ronjiro Japan podcast, the place where we provide insights on Japan from people who know Japan. Today's episode is the longest interview we've done on the show so far, but you won't want to miss any of it. We're joined by Shuhei, Shu Murakami, a stand up comedian and junior high school English teacher here in Japan. We discuss three major topics. One, his fascinating story of becoming homeless in another country and how he overcame it. Number two, his thoughts on stand up comedy and comedy in Japan. We have a clip. And number three, the less than optimal state of English language teaching in Japanese schools. Now, any of these discussions could be an entire episode in itself, but we've packed all three into one. Our guest is Shuhei Murakami. I'm your host, JT, and this is Ronjiru. Let's discuss Japan. Shuhei Murakami, welcome to the Ronjiro Japan podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a very pleasure. Good to, it's Huge very honor. good. To, oh, well, uh, the honor is all mine. Um, you're a stand up comedian, but you're also a school teacher now. Uh, man of many yes. hats.、Mm-hmm. I want to ask you what has the schools been like during the past 15 months or so? It's, yeah, it's crazy, but it's as normal as it used to be before the pandemic. Yeah. I see.、Uh, except that everyone's wearing a mask. Oh, I see. Of course. During classes. And during the lunch, they cannot speak at all.、Mm-hmm. They cannot talk. Oh, wow. So silent eating. Mm hmm. 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 I see. Let's、uh, get right into it.、Uh, let's talk about. You for a bit. Your life story is、um, far more interesting than any question I could come up with.、Uh, so I think the best way to do this is for me to get out of the way.、Uh, it's a fascinating, sort of like a novel、uh, full of twists and turns and、uh, interesting things. I think it's best if I just let you tell the story、uh, in your own words. So let's、uh, go through it starting from. You were almost a high school dropout in Japan, which is very rare here. Let's start there. Oh, yes, sure. <laughs>、um, yeah, I didn't really go to school.、Mm-hmm. And it was not because I was、uh, a hikikomori. Do you know the word? Hikikomori、yes. is a person、uh, who stays、uh, in parents' house、um, doing nothing but playing video games and stuff. I was a little bit different from that. I, in, when I was in high school, I really got in, into、uh, playing music,、uh, like playing the guitar, playing with my band. So I was really focused on it. And to rent a studio, it was really expensive. Then I wanted to buy some guitar stuff,、um, keyboard stuff. So、uh, I was. Um, doing the part time almost every day that was at the McDonald's.、Oh. McDonald's. So, yeah, I was working until 10 o'clock every night, and、um, it was really hard for me to、um, 
wake up in the morning and go to school regularly. Or, or I would say, I what I've not really been good at doing something regularly, like on a daily basis. So I really didn't manage to, you know, go to school every day and do the same things that every other kids were doing. Yeah. You were too busy playing the guitar. Um, yeah. And, um, I love sleeping. So that's another reason. <laughs> Did you dislike school? I would say I was not really into like school itself. Um, like studying, I never studied, uh, in high school mm -hmm. except a few months before the university entrance exam. That's the only period that I studied in. So there were a few textbooks that I, I never opened, even opened once. So that was what my high school life was like. Mm. You said you had a band. Oh, yes. What kind of music did you play? Uh, we did um, covers. We wrote some original songs, too. Mm. Mostly uh, we played uh, rock music. Uh, when we did covers, we did cover uh, some Japanese rock, like mm -hmm. the Blue Hearts on RC Succession, which is from the 80s or 70s. I'm not really sure. It was an old band that I was really into at that time. Mm -hmm. And we also covered the Beatles, um, Queen, Led Zeppelin, something like that, like 70s, 60s. Yeah, British rock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you said that you didn't start studying until the end of high school uh, to get into university. Mm -hmm. So how did you manage that? Well, I was kind of like, to be honest, you know, I was kind of good at like studying, like memorizing stuff. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that I, well, before that, I thought I didn't like studying. I hated studying, but mm -hmm. When I started studying, it was pretty fun, actually. That's when I finally realized that I kind of liked studying. Mm -hmm. And that one of the reasons was that because, you know, like my grades were almost like zero. <laughs> I, my scores on uh, exams were always under 10. And most of them were like just zero, like nothing. So. I couldn't go like worse than that, but the only mm -hmm. thing that I could do was I could just go up, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So you said you didn't study very much in, in high school, uh, and yet you wanted to go into university and you went into university. How did you manage that? Well, first of all, the reason uh, why I wanted to go to university was because uh, I met a really cool teacher uh, mm -hmm. when I was in the third grade, um, which means I was 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. And I want to be like him. I mean, I wanted, a, I wanted to be a teacher like him. So I decided to be a teacher. Then that's when I realized that I have to go to university to get the teacher's license. So that's mm -hmm. when I started actually studying hard for mm -hmm. the entrance exam. And that's also when I kind of realized that I liked studying. Hmm. I, I was thought I hated studying, but it was pretty fun for me. 
And and well, one of the reasons would be because I had never studied. I see. So always uh, on exams, my scores were like always under 10 out of 100 or most of them were like just zero. So I couldn't be worse than <laughs> that as I studied, you know, it just went up and up and up and it was so much fun, you know, to see, you know, how my scores and grades go up. Right. But yeah, that's not what everyone can experience, you know, sure. when they maintain to get, you know, scores of like 90, 80, you know, they are so scared of, you know, losing it. I mean, getting mm-hmm. worse than that. But, you know, for me, it could only get better. Mm-hmm. Could only get so better I, and better late than never. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I kind of enjoyed studying. And as I enjoyed, um, you know, when you enjoy, that's fun. <laughs> if you mm-hmm. don't enjoy, it's not fun. And for most of the kids, you know, studying is not fun. So I was kind of lucky mm-hmm. to start from zero. <laughs> not from 100 so that mm-hmm. it could never go down, but it could only go up. <laughs> sure. What did you major in in university? Um, English literature, mm-hmm. which I never kind of studied in university. <laughs> so, so I was playing music again in the university. I so, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of studied English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Obviously. not literature. But that not. was <laughs> all right. Thanks. Yeah. Hmm. So, all right. So after you graduated university, having uh, learned that studying can be fun, uh, what did you do? Yeah, as I said, I was going to be a teacher. I I got the teacher's license in university. I yeah, I majored in, uh, I minored in education as well. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would say, um, I wasn't really ready for becoming a teacher and doing the job for like forever until I retire at 60 or 65. Mm-hmm. And, um, deep in my heart, I want to be somebody, you know, mm-hmm. not just a school teacher. I want to be somebody, but I didn't know like what I wanted to be. I wasn't. I had no idea what I want to do with my life. So um, I just left Japan. <laughs> right. I got the cheapest ticket, uh, airplane ticket to uh, Malaysia. That was at the time on sale. That was around $60, like 6,000 Japanese yen. That was That's the cheapest cheap. ticket to fly abroad. So I bought it and I flew to Malaysia. and started traveling a little bit mm-hmm. you're backpacking yep through malaysia through southeast asia um mm-hmm. why why malaysia why southeast asia and that was the cheapest ticket oh. to fly abroad so you didn't <laughs> yeah. really care where you went no i didn't at all hmm. so was there something specific you were seeking mm, um, no that's why i was just traveling you know mm-hmm to find what I want to seek or, you know, oh, well, a lot of people travel uh, saying they want to find themselves or something, Right. but 
I didn't even have that idea either. You know, I was just like, you know, well, it's hard to be uh, neat. You know, this word neat, neat means, you know, someone that doesn't work and just stay up here and well, um, I didn't want to be a neat. Right. But, you know, backpacking, it's kind of a neat, you know, not working, just traveling, just hanging out every day. But, you know, I can be called a backpacker, not mm -hmm. neat if I was abroad. <laughs> so I that's see. why, yeah, I started it. Right. So then you ended up in Cambodia, and that's where the fun really started. Uh, take us there. First, Cambodia. It wasn't really fun, but yeah, I started living there. So from Malaysia, I took a train to Thailand where I stayed for about a month. I found a really cool bar where there was a, a live stage, live music stage, mm -hmm. and some band was playing there every night. So I started going there every day. Then one day I asked the band if I could join them on the guitar. Then they let me in. Mm. Then I kind of did a good job. So I started playing music there every night and that was pretty cool. And I didn't get paid, but I got free meals, uh, free drinks. And um, yeah, they gave me the shirt of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I started serving too for free. I mean, mm -hmm. I was up for anything. So that was a really cool experience. And my visa was expiring. Then I asked the owner of the bar if um, they could extend my visa. And it was like, what the hell is visa? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, then I have to leave this country tomorrow. Then I left the country the next day. <laughs> To hmm. Cambodia, which is right next to Cambodia, yeah. right? And um, I visited Angkor Wat, hmm. which was one of my dreams to visit the Angkor Wat that I had seen uh, on the history uh, textbook. Mm -hmm. So that was fun, but I was, you know, I was not traveling to see the world heritage sites or <laughs> see beautiful uh, places. I I was more focused on like meeting people mm -hmm. um, and, you know, experiencing uh, cool stuff. So, and then after I visited Angkor Wat, um, I had nothing to do. So I just uh, took a bus to the capital of mm -hmm. the country, which is Phnom Penh, mm -hmm. where I ended up living for four and a half years after that. <laughs> Yes, but that wasn't your original plan to live there for four and a half years, I understand. Never. That's where the story gets interesting. What mm -hmm. happened? Yeah. Uh, the first day in Phnom Penh, I was scammed by a family mm -hmm. there. And I lost all, all the money that I had at the moment, including the money that I had in the bank. Hmm. Mm. Lost your money? And then what did you do? Yep. And uh, I had no choice but live there. I mean, I didn't even I didn't even have money to fly back to Japan, right? Mm -hmm. And um, well, some people say like ask me why why I didn't call anyone for some money, like a couple hundred dollars, mm -hmm. with which I can fly back to Japan. Mm -hmm. But I really I didn't even think about it 
now I know I was stupid, but that wasn't an option. I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, when I left Japan, I was telling uh, people around me something like, I, I'm going to conquer the world, kind of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't just call them after a couple of months saying like, hey, I was scammed. <laughs> Can you send me some money? No, that wasn't an option. So I chose to live there. Right. And I started looking for a job. Mm -hmm. mm. And you, then I and got one. Uh -huh. What'd you do? I met a Japanese guy there mm -hmm. who was about to start his new business in Cambodia, but he didn't speak a word of English. So I started teaching him English. Oh, I see. And um, yeah, before that, I was a homeless for a couple of weeks. So I, yeah, I met the <laughs> Japanese guy and uh, I started teaching him English. That was first like $5 an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was actually a lot of money <laughs> for me. Mm -hmm. Now I wouldn't teach it for $5 an hour, but yeah, at the time I had nothing to lose. So $5, oh, that was a lot of money. And um, I started teaching him English. Then he introduced me to some other people who I started to, te to teach as well. And after a couple months, maybe uh, after a few months, I, I saved in enough money to fly back to Japan, you know, to mm -hmm. buy a ticket to Japan. But I stupidly didn't buy a ticket and um, I bought a guitar. <laughs> I went into a music store and I bought the cheapest guitar there. Then I, yeah, because, yeah, I kind of, I was kind of liking the country. Then I, I didn't even think of leaving. So, yeah, that's what I did. So, hold on, hold on. And, mm -hmm. So, you were uh, an, an aimless traveler, uh, got scammed, lost uh, a larger sum of money, uh became homeless in a foreign country mm -hmm. somehow you were resourceful enough to find a job teaching english that got you by you mm -hmm. saved up you saved up you got money to go home and instead of getting on the plane uh you <laughs> you used your money to buy a, a guitar and start a new adventure despite the fact that you were homeless or had been homeless <laughs> That was pretty normal for me. I know I want to do something. So, yeah. But how does it sound to you? Well, um, obviously, being homeless uh, and and broke and worried in a foreign country was not something that was uh, unpleasant for you. Otherwise, you would have been on the plane right away. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, so, I would say that was hmm. unpleasant, but I still chose that life. <laughs> somehow yeah why why was that was there something you were trying to avoid in going back to japan you had the job the option to maybe maybe mm -hmm. yeah maybe i was trying to you know well what was the word you just said uh, avoid yeah uh, maybe i was trying to avoid something which could be like a decision of my life mm -hmm. which i haven't made it yet it, anyway <laughs> mm -hmm. but anyway yeah i was kind of scared to be just another person like another salary man in japan so i would have rather chose to be a 
homeless, hopeless, broke guy in Cambodia. <laughs> but I was still something doing something that I kind of wanted to do, like playing music. Uh-huh. Yeah, there there is another cool story. So I got the cheapest guitar, cheapest secondhand guitar at the music store. Then mm-hmm. I I directly went to uh, this rock bar in Phnom Penh, mm-hmm. where customers are all like Westerners, and mm-hmm. the owner was an American guy as well. I went into there. And there was a uh, like Western band playing something. I forgot what song it was. But anyway, it was a really cool place. It was a huge place. And um, I wanted to play there. So I went over to the stage and asked the band if I could join. And they looked at me like, who the hell are you? Mm. <laughs> a small Asian guy. Then I was so scared because they are so scary. They look so scary. Mm-hmm. And the main guy the lead guitar and the vocalist i talked to anyway allowed me to play mm-hmm. with him with the band so i played a couple songs and that was kind of that was kind of all right so again i started playing there and this time with visa i mean i had my own visa already so mm. yeah then i started playing there for free you know mm-hmm. i mean for a couple of free drinks a night. And that's the bar is the place that I ended up working as a manager a couple it's months nice. later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then that was kind of a dream job. I wouldn't be able to do that in Japan. I mean, playing music for a living, that's everyone's dream. And that's what everyone in high school uh, gives up on. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. in Japan, everybody gets a guitar uh, in junior high school or high school. And the competition is really crazy. And if you're in high school, then if you said you want to be a musician and you know you, you will be laughed at, you will be made a fan of and you have to give up on it. But in Cambodia, you know, if I had a guitar and I if I played a few chords on it, I will be like a genius. Cambodian kids will look at me like I'm a superhero, Superman. So I started playing music for a living. And I also, I, I managed the bar as a manager. Yeah, that was really cool. While you were doing all of that, you also uh, were uh, doing something on the radio. Could you describe the radio show you did in Phnom Penh? Yes. Um, Yeah, I was... Uh, hosting a radio show back in Phnom Penh. Uh, I did it for a few years, actually, uh, three to four years. I don't remember exactly how long, but yes. Um, and that was really cool. I mean, I was working at the bar and that was on, the owner was an American and um, yeah, most of the customers were Westerners. And there was this guy who was, um, who was a cool um, customer, and I would talk to him often. Then once he saw me playing on a stage as well, then after the gig, he he came over to me. Mm-hmm. Then he said, hey, Shu, do you want to host a radio, uh, radio show? Do you want to be a radio DJ? And I was like, oh, this guy is totally drunk. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, he asked me to 
you know, come to the radio uh, station the next day. And I did. Mm-hmm. And he was there. Then he was about to start his show. Then he was like, okay, you're going to be on the show. <laughs> you're going to be the guest. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, okay. Then I got on the uh, radio show for the first time, just like that. Mm-hmm. And um, from the next day or from the next week, I I started my own show (laughs) just like that yeah on the show he taught me how to play music how to choose songs from the computer and how to turn on the microphone how to uh, get the commercials in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then yeah what kind of a show was it was it music based or was it talk or was it everything that there was like everything (laughs) there was no guidelines except except some words that I couldn't say, like uh, cursing words or something. But that was it. I could do basically uh, whatever <laughs> I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Also, there there were some rules, like basic rules, like I can't play the same song uh, in the same hour or something like that. But otherwise, I could do pretty much, you know, anything, <laughs> play music, mm-hmm. talk in. Yeah, I got messages from uh, listeners too. <clears throat> And also, while you were doing all that, um, in Cambodia, you decided to be an entrepreneur. Tell us about the Good Times Bar. Sure. Um, so I was working at the bar as a manager. Mm-hmm. The The bar I I was formerly working was called Sharky Bar. Sharky, yeah. Mm-hmm. I made a YouTube video um, of that bar, and it's a really, really cool bar. So if you want to check it out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, one day, uh, suddenly, the owner that I owe a lot still uh, mm-hmm. collapsed mm-hmm. in in the office. Then he passed away. Whoa. That's... Oh, yeah. Man. Shock. So, yeah. I mean, I was sad. But, yeah, that wasn't um, as shocking as you might expect. <laughs> Yeah, it could have been any moment. But anyway, so I I owe a lot to him. I owe a lot to him. He let me play, and he hired me as a manager. Then he taught me a lot of things. Also, he was a Chinese American, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he was a super tough guy. He was a huge guy, both uh, inside and out. He was. He taught me a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Well, after he passed away, I wasn't sure if I would still be working there. Because, yeah, without him, the bar wouldn't be the same bar with different owners. So I I chose to quit and I chose to start my own bar, mm-hmm. yeah. which was kind of like for me like in normal steps okay i work here as a manager so now my my own bar of course yeah that was something like that and i actually started it i see what was the uh, clientele like well a lot of uh people uh who went to shaki bar the bar that i worked as a manager um came to my bar and they were so supportive, which I really appreciate still. 
And also, um, yeah, that was a live music venue, even though it was really small. We had a live mm -hmm. stage. Uh, and also, as I'm a Japanese, and there's a Japanese community in Phnom Penh. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So we had some Japanese customers, too, mm -hmm. with live music. Um, yeah, mostly. Uh, we had an open mic night on every Monday. And also on the weekends, we had regular gigs with, I would say, paid musicians. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how long did you run your pet project, your new entrepreneurial endeavor at the bar? Two years. Yeah. And you enjoyed it? Yeah. Um, not always, but it was an amazing experience, I would say. But mm -hmm. it was super tough. It was hard. I was working. Uh, every night for two years mm -hmm. and uh, I I wouldn't say I would do that again <laughs> but mm -hmm. it was so much fun I learned a lot of things and that was the first time I paid salaries I didn't get paid but mm -hmm. I, I had to pay the salary so I had some huge responsibility and mm -hmm. um, also I was working every night I was drinking every night but yeah the sales of the bar didn't cover everything um, it was hard. So I was also working as a radio DJ. Mm -hmm. I was teaching English to some uh, Japanese uh, people. What else I did? I was a translator. I worked as an interpreter as well. I was doing everything that I could do just to survive. You said earlier uh, when you first decided to go to Southeast Asia um, that you knew you didn't want to just be a Japanese salaryman. Uh, but you didn't know what you wanted to do. Did you find um, the things you wanted to do while you were in Cambodia? Uh, no. No. <laughs> but I also learned uh, something, um, which is that I don't have to decide if I travel, if I try to you know look for something, or I don't even have to look for something if I just keep trying there will be something there will be some path mm -hmm. so yeah i haven't decided what i what i really want to do with my life but i'm still you know 29 years old like super mm -hmm. young even though in japan you know um 30 year old um without a full-time job would be regarded as a failure or something i mean yeah. i have a full-time job right now but i don't think i will you know having the job forever so i will be a jobless sometime mm -hmm. but i think it's okay because you know i haven't um i haven't been through the half of my life if i lived until 60 years old hopefully i will <laughs> but yeah i don't think i have to decide uh right now what i what i want to be doing uh forever in my life Sure. Also, I, I don't think I'll be doing just one thing uh, mm. in my whole life. Yeah, I want to be doing a lot of things. I want to take us back to the story. So you were doing all of those things in Cambodia, working all the time, all hours, five different jobs. Uh, eventually, you decided to come back to Japan. Mm -hmm. What did you do once you got back here? Um. First, I worked as um, a manager for an international model agency. Model agency? How was that? Yeah. Um, 
that was nice. <laughs> that that was good to meet a lot of different people from different backgrounds, from you know different countries. It was really cool, even though the job itself uh, was not the easiest job uh, that I could have. I mean, it was really hard, and the longest hours I worked was twenty two hours in a row, in a row. God. So it was hard, but also that's when I decided to you know become a comedian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stand up comedian, I mean. So you were looking at models and just decided, I think I'll do comedy. <laughs> Could well, you fill us uh, in on how that how that logic worked? Sure. <laughs> well, mm, I would say, yeah, I was working at the back, right? I was not a model. Then that wasn't comfortable. I mean, I wanted to be not a model, but I wanted to be on the stage, mm-hmm. not back on the stage. That's mm-hmm. one thing that I that I felt working in the background. I mean, off the stage, mm-hmm. but I didn't know like <laughs> what what to do, what to be to be on a stage. But one day, that was the end of the year. We had a drinking party at the time. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Then I was asked to give a speech at the end of the party. Yes. And um, I didn't freak out. I mean, if a Japanese guy uh, was asked to give a speech all of a sudden for five minutes in English, you know, and if I if I hadn't been through all the things that I, that I did in Cambodia, I would freak out, but I didn't freak out. I just got up on the stage and I started talking and that was fun. Then also, um, Basically, I talked about um, things that I went through in Cambodia and differences between two countries, uh, the two countries, Japan and Cambodia. And well, they liked it, actually. They liked it. And mm-hmm. they were like, hey, why don't you do a stand-up comedy? Then at the time, I was like, what is it? <laughs> what yes. is a stand-up comedy? <laughs> I didn't really know. But... And at the same time, I was uh, studying English with a book uh, Uh on which there was a Japanese comedian uh, writing some column, small column. Uh And I was like, oh, there's a Japanese comedian, a Japanese stand-up comedian, you know, performing in New York. Then I, I searched him on YouTube and I saw one of his shows and I was like, if, if, he could make uh, uh, a professional comedian with this performance. Why not me? <laughs> was that person um, uh, Ryo Koike? Yes. His, his name comes and, uh, up uh, a lot. I had a, a, another stand-up comedian on my show who also brought up his name. So he seems to be a legend. He definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not... Uh, now well in japan i don't know if he is in new york but yeah and i was stupid you know like i had never tried it i had never tried a stand-up comedy so like (laughs) i was like i was stupid and i was like no i couldn't be worse than this so that's how i started it now i owe a lot to him you know without his existence without his trying without his challenging in new york as the first japanese guy as a comedian and I wouldn't probably be doing it. Hmm. But at the time I was young and I, 
I wasn't experienced, so I didn't know how hard it would be mm -hmm. to do stand-up comedy in a second language. So yeah, he's great. He's amazing. But at that time, I didn't realize how great he was. Then <laughs> that got me into stand-up comedy. So, so those experiences. It was just somebody said, nice speech. It was funny. You should try stand-up comedy. And then you just decided, yeah, okay, that's what I'll do. Is that kind of right? Pretty much. Then mm -hmm. the next day I was uh, <laughs> searching uh, to get to New York. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to do it right away because I had no doubt I wouldn't make it. So you chose to do it in New York. How come not Japan? Uh, I hosted a couple of shows in Japan first, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's for some obvious reason. Uh, there are not many people who speak English in Japan. I mean, not mm -hmm. a lot of Japanese people speak English. Yeah. So when I hosted those couple of shows in Japan, most of the audience was uh, my international friends in Tokyo and, and their friends. So mm -hmm. it went well. But also, uh, there is a difference between Japanese comedy and uh, like Western like stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. So yeah, uh, in in Japanese comedy, it's always uh, like a pair. It's always a duo. Mm -hmm. Then one is called a tsukomi, one is called a boke. This mm -hmm. this guy says something stupid, and this guy hits him in the head mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how it works. But stand up comedy, you're all by yourself. Yes, which I'm comfortable with because mm -hmm. I'm I'm all responsible for whatever I do. Then I don't have to be responsible for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's comfortable for me. But also the contents itself is different too. For example, if so, my friends watch my YouTube videos of my stand up comedy mm -hmm. where um, like English speakers are laughing at, uh, English speakers are laughing at them. But my Japanese friends' uh, reaction would be like, oh, interesting. What you're saying is very interesting. Not funny, but interesting. Right. Yeah, in Japan, you know, in Japanese, uh, omoshiroi means both funny and interesting. So yes. when I say something funny, they take it as something interesting. I see. So they don't laugh, but their reaction will be like, oh, very interesting. And some of them <laughs> write some notes. <laughs> That's what mm -hmm. happens if I did uh, the same stand-up comedy in Japan. So I wanted to try, yes. try it in America. Of mm -hmm. course, that that's uh, everyone's dreamy country. Is the the fact that you uh, studied or didn't study but took literature at university did that affect your decision or influence your decision at all? Maybe, because when I started writing comedy, everything that I I had been through was a comedy. <laughs> For example, the education in Japan, the education in high school, everything was comedy. Everything was funny. You know, if I looked at it in that way, that was a tragedy. That was all comedy. For example, um, so one of the first jokes that I wrote was about my life in university where mm -hmm. I majored English literature. But actually, we didn't really uh, read English literature in English. We wrote them. Uh, uh, we 
uh, read them uh, in translated Japanese because professors are not really good at um, English itself, but they are good at English literature. But mm. that doesn't mean that they can, you know, speak good English. So right. well, we'll we had to, to that read. In a moment. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there was a comedy. Also, there was this uh, like Western teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> who would curse a lot during the class. Yes. Like, hey, let's get this fucking class started. <laughs> uh, you know, that's how I learned, you know, cursing words. You know, I learned it from that asshole. I even learned this word <laughs> asshole from him. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, maybe. Because if I did a major in English, my English wouldn't have been, you know, good. Right. First, I studied English with the Beatles and English songs. But in university, I first, uh, like, seriously learned grammar and, um, yeah, the, the things. Yeah. So you decided to leave Japan once again. And then what? You went to New York, uh, just decided, I'll find a stage somewhere and stand on it. Well, actually, I had decided to uh, move to Canada, but before that, I wanted to try um, in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I before I left Japan, before I made any decision, I went over to the American embassy and asked if I could get a working visa as a comedian, mm-hmm. as a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they I think didn't I say no what the answer was but they didn't say no they said there is a way but also they told me that if i did some street performance then if i got a penny and that's illegal i couldn't make a penny hmm. in america right. and um like any money i i couldn't work without the working visa i couldn't even wash dishes then i found this Canada, which uh, Canada is right next to America, and uh, I could do a working holiday for one year in Canada. With working holiday visa, you can do whatever you want in Canada for a year. For example, you can study, you can go to school, you can work, you can travel. So I got that visa, uh, and I decided to go to Canada. But before that, but I chose Canada, I chose this city. Toronto because that was right next to New York. Yes. So first I flew to New York and I wanted to challenge myself uh, in New York first and I also wanted to make some connection there. Mm-hmm. So whenever they call, I can just you know take a bus from Toronto to Toronto to New York. And also, yeah, actually I went to a lot of open mics in New York. Mm-hmm. Then I got to meet some comedians, some producers, some people. Mm-hmm. And I actually did get on a couple regular shows, even oh, though wow. I didn't get paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool, you know, performing comedy in New York. Yes. But yeah, as I said earlier, I couldn't make a penny there legally. So I was just losing a lot of money staying in Manhattan. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Then I moved to Canada where I I could work. I could get a job to and survive. You, and you took Canada by storm. You, you suddenly arrived at a comedy stage on the other side of the world and um, 
based on what I've seen on YouTube, you basically killed it right away. You think so? I think so. Let's uh, well, uh, let's let thanks. everyone else decide. Let's take a look, uh, uh, listen to a brief clip uh, from, I believe this is going to be your debut stand-up routine on stage in Canada. It'll be scary. <laughs> yeah. Shusan, thank you for your permission to use this. To our friends of at course, YouTube, yeah, this is being used with the permission of the content owner. So everyone, the very witty Shu Murakami showed up in Canada, got on stage, and did this. Oh shit, I forget the first line. <laughs> uh, hello! I'm so sorry that you have me tonight. Sorry, I might even make you laugh. Sorry. Does anyone have any stereotypes of people from Japan? Smart. Smart, thank you. <laughs> you from Japan? Yeah? That's, that's actually wrong. That's not a stereotype. That's a fact. <laughs> Well, I actually used to have a terrible accent too. Like, this is the exact accent that we learn in school in Japan. <laughs> but I studied really hard to become a stand-up comedian. And last month, I finally moved into Toronto to challenge myself as a comedian. Right now, I'm here on the first stage in Canada. How about that? because now I'm desperate realizing that as a stunt comic from Japan, when my English was terrible, I was much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> like last week, we had Labor Day, right? People were off work, shops were all closed, I was shocked. In Japan, Labor Day is when we work even harder. <laughs> Great stuff. Very funny. What a debut. Uh, and you still look 17, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> What's your secret? Uh, forget it, forget being it. Being a Japanese? Being a Japanese. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Being Asian, I think, yeah. 
So over time, um, you played at many venues in, in Canada, uh, around Toronto. You were at uh, the Absolute Comedy Bar, uh, Yuck Yucks, which is huge. Uh, Corner Comedy Club. Were you at the Corner Comedy Club, right? You played there? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Corner Comedy mm -hmm. Club, yeah. And uh, the Asian Comedy All-Stars. That is the biggest. It, yeah. yeah, that was the biggest one Jeez. that I was on. Yeah, how'd you do? Uh, I really want to tell you one story about okay. that show. So mm -hmm. the first day, uh, the first day in Toronto, I saw a poster in the city that was about uh, this show called Asian Comedy All Stars. Yeah, big show. And instantly, it became uh, my goal to uh, be on that show, Asian Comedy All Stars. Doesn't it sound great? Yeah. So I want to be on that show. Uh, that became my goal. But well, when I started living there, I was so uh, scared, scared to do anything. And um, I was just staying home, uh, trying to write some uh, jokes. And um, you know, when I say like uh, comedians, it's for comedians, it's really tough to come up with jokes when you just stay at home. Then you end up just wasting one day or two days or a week or two weeks. So I was just living in Canada like that. Then I even missed that show. I forgot to go to the show as well. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so one day I, I determined like, okay, today I will go to this open mic. Otherwise, I'm... I'll be dead. I mean, mm. I will be as dead as dead. Mm -hmm. I, I decided. I decided to, you know, finally go to this open mic, even though I wasn't confident. I I encouraged myself. I was like, go to this open mic or die. Then I I chose to go to that open mic. Mm, good choice. I got on. Yeah, and I got on the show, and um, I I think that was kind of all right. That's why after the open mic, this woman came over me saying like, hey, it was great and you're Japanese, it's really cool. Actually, I host a comedy show called Asian Comedy All Stars. I want you to be on the show sometime. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's when I really felt how lucky how, you know, how lucky I was I mean, how lucky I had been, mm -hmm. you know, in Cambodia, I got a job as a musician by chance. Then I started working there as a manager by chance. And uh, now I can be on the Asian Comedy All-Stars by chance. But also that's uh, when I realized that if I didn't, if I didn't come over to Canada, if I didn't decide to if I didn't decide to be a comedian, if I didn't decide to challenge myself mm -hmm. in a stupid way, I wouldn't get this chance. Sure. So I wasn't just, you know, Googling uh, on the internet in Japan in my house, you know, to see, a, to seek for a chance to be on a, on the show, I wouldn't probably get it. But I actually went to Canada and I actually went to this open mic being so scared, freaking out. And so I would be a lucky person, of course, but I wasn't just a lucky person. I was also trying myself. 
yeah that's what i like realized at the time so you know i i started keep trying and challenging myself that mm -hmm. way how uh how would you describe your comedy um okay uh it'll be a tough question because i've never thought of it i know but that's I, why i asked it <laughs> okay <laughs> one thing i'm I'm focused on would be that I want to be unique. Uh, I don't want to be the same as anybody else. Yes. I, I can't be. It's not original. Mm -hmm. So my life's been already like pretty unique. <laughs> yes, know? indeed. Yeah, from a high school dropout to a homeless in Cambodia to a bar owner. Uh, also hosting a radio show and suddenly decided to, you know, become a stand-up comedian. Yeah, that's stupid, but also that's kind of unique. I don't think there is anyone else that's doing the same thing. So, yeah, I I try to be myself and I try not to copy anyone else. That's why, you know, I, well, when I started doing my comedy, I, I didn't watch anybody else's show. I just mm -hmm. wanted to be, you know, uh, unique. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at one point I took a comedy class where I learned a lot of things, like how to hold an open mic, from how to hold an open mic to, you know, how to interact with uh, the audience. So I, I, I learned some technical things, but otherwise I would try to be uh, unique and I try to tell things that only I can tell. For example, the, the cultural differences between Cambodia and Japan. Yes. You know, for example, the cultural differences between Canada and Cambodia mm -hmm. and maybe the differences among those three countries altogether which can be told by only by only those who lived in those three countries. Mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot of your um, humor what uh, plays off of people's the audience's uh, preconceptions or stereotypes about Japanese people or Japan. And mm -hmm. uh, you do it in a very humorous way. It's funny. But I wonder if that does that limit what you can do because it requires um, that the audience knows a certain amount about Japan in order to understand what's funny. Uh, right. Um, I don't think so because, okay. yeah, I would use the stereotypes that air, almost everybody would have or even if they didn't have it, you know, in my way, I I try to make them feel like they had that stereotype, or uh, with if the person right next to you had that stereotype and laughed at it, you know maybe you would feel like you know you had the stereotype, or um, how to say, like you probably get it if the most of the the audience gets it. I see. I wouldn't say something so specific. But I would only tell something uh, really like general. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Like, yeah, I mean, I would say like Asians are like short. <laughs> of course, not all Asians are short, but 
yeah, they would have that stereotype, and I will put it in a funny way. I mean, I'm I don't just want to be making fun of myself or my people. So、mm-hmm. I do make fun of myself and my people, but also like I want to make fun of those who laugh at me and who. Who make fun of my people and who would make fun of myself? I wanna make、uh, how to say I wanna make fun of them like back. <laughs>、mm-hmm. I see. I make fun of myself. I make fun of them as well. Like they could be Canadians, Cambodians.、Uh, yeah, that's that's what I what I try to do. I recently had a another stand-up comedian on my show. Uh, and I asked him a similar question, so I want to see what what your perspective is on this. Why、oh, interesting? Yeah, sure. Yeah, why are there、uh, so few stand-up comedians in Japan? And I don't mean、uh, necessarily in English. I mean even in Japanese.、Um, Japan has many forms of spoken comedy. There's manzai, there's rakugo, there's other ones,、mm. um, but not stand-up comedy like in the American or Canadian sense. Uh, style.、Mm. It's not common here.、Mm. Why not? Because、mm, it's not a popular form of a comedy in Japan. Yes. And、um, I think、uh, stand-up comedy is kind of similar to rakugo,、mm-hmm. rakugo style. So a rakugo, it's not just funny. You know, you have to be smart and you have to understand the the real intention of、uh, what. The person is saying, "Right, tell my audience what is rakugo."、Uh, <laughs> okay, briefly, I'm briefly, not briefly, really <laughs> briefly. I'm not familiar with it either, but yeah, rakugo. Well, there are some rakugo stories that you can cry on. There、mm-hmm. are some rakugo stories that you can laugh on, but it's not just funny. There is always a story of,、mm, I don't know how long, but from five minutes to like twenty minutes. So yeah, my stand-up comedy style. Now I kind of know my my style of comedy is kind of a storytelling style.、Mm-hmm. So it's all connected from the start to the biggest punchline.、Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of similar to Nakugo. Right. And I I'm not really good at describing <laughs> what Nakugo is like.、Okay. But yeah, Nakugo is、uh, performed by、uh, one person. So that's a similarity, one similarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as I said earlier,、um, when I tell my jokes to Japanese people in Japanese,、uh, they don't laugh, but their reaction will be like, "Oh, interesting, almost really this now." So what I'm trying to say is,、um, stand-up comedy is kind of not just funny, but Stand-up comedy is really、uh, interesting because,、um, for example, for my comedy, in my comedy, I talk a lot about cultural differences、yes. and stereotypes, and anybody can laugh at my jokes. I think, for example, if I said, you know, Asians are like you laugh at me because I'm short, but I was very tall in Japan, yes, and maybe anybody can laugh at it.、Mm-hmm. Everyone in the whole world, but Japanese comedy. Um, it's more focused on Japanese people, Japanese culture, and there are not so much interaction with foreign cultures in Japan, right? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. 
and um, what was the question? So uh, why there are not so many stand-up comedians in Japan? So hmm. the biggest reason would be uh, the comedy style is different from uh, the Japanese comedy style is totally different from uh, the stand-up comedy style. I mean, two people and yeah. one person. Yeah. You know? So that that's the huge difference. Hmm. And stand-up comedy ni performing stand-up comedy needs a lot of guts <laughs> you mm. need huge balls so mm. yeah <laughs> i think it's a scary thing that i'm stupid to you know try it i know but it's so much fun and another reason would be that uh stand-up comedy it's something intellectual yes it's not a instant laugh Right. I mean, in Japanese comedy, you can just, you know, make a funny face and say totally stupid thing to make the audience laugh. But in stand-up comedy, it doesn't really happen. Well, sometimes, but not always. You mm-hmm. have to be something smart. You have to be something that makes sense. You have to say something that any everyone has experienced and you know say something you know funny out of it so yeah maybe the difference there is a difference between the japanese comedy style and stand-up comedy style um there's also a difference in topics um Mm. a lot of stand-up comedy is about mm, through laughter making people think about something either A, that they have not thought about before, or B, think about something they've thought about, but in a different way. The comedy that is popular in Japan, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, is the kind of comedy that reminds people of what's funny in what they already know. Mm. Is that a fair way to put what you were trying to say? Oh, yeah. Or mm-hmm. doing something totally stupid, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. yeah you, you, you got it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing, and this is also something I that we discussed with my previous other guest who was a, who was a, a stand-up comedian. Japanese comedy does not discuss politics or social issues. Totally. Oh, he got the right point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I never thought of it. But yeah, uh, definitely. That's right. Yeah. It's taboo. It's taboo, definitely. Yeah. Why? Uh, because Japan. <laughs> well, but, but yeah, it's but look at like, for example, look at politics as an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much of it is already a joke anyways. It's ripe for humor. It, it, you don't have to make comedy out of it. It's already a comedy. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Just One read thing. a news headlines yeah. and, and people will laugh at it. <laughs> I mean, so it, it would be great for, for comedy here. Yeah. So, well, in, but I think in Japan, it's a pretty serious thing. But if I, if I just read the topics of uh, like Japanese news, I mean, he, if I just read the headlines, Mm-hmm. on the Japanese newspaper in another country it's got to be <laughs> comedy sure. but here in Japan uh, I mean it's not really comedy because we live 
in it. <laughs> sure. We live in the comedy. So from the inside, it's just a tragedy. If you look at it from outside, it, it'll be a comedy. <laughs> But right. From inside, it's just a tragedy. And <sighs> it's kind of taboo to talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to accomplish through your comedy? I mean, other than making people laugh, of course, but what's, what's your goal to accomplish through comedy, if there is one? That's something that I'm looking for because, yeah, I'm not really like a normal, like regular Japanese, any, Japanese anymore who would decide, you know, what, I, what he'll be doing at 30 years old and 40 years old and 50 years old at uh, 65 years old and, you know, how, how much money he needs to be saved by, like, the time he retires. I'm not like that. I... But my life has been just like, just like it. I mean, I, I don't know what to do. So I just tackle to anything that's right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And there will be another path. There will be another choice. And I would just try for that thing. And in that way, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I cannot see like myself five years late i mean i started from nothing when i flew to malaysia i had nothing to do i didn't know what i want to do with my life so i just you know did something that was right in front of me i just tackled and i became a musician i became a a manager of a music venue and i had my own restaurant my life's been just like that i try something that's right in front of me with all I can, then there will be another choice, another option, another way, another path. Then I would just try for it. And now I ended up being a teacher, but it's not a goal. You know, that's Mm. just something on my path. So Mm. I'm, I'm giving all to my job, my current job, of course, but that doesn't mean that I want to be doing it forever. I'm trying something, uh, with my best so that there will be another path another things that i have to you know try hard so mm-hmm. my last been just like that so my goal is to find my goal i guess so mm-hmm. for now i don't know i still don't know what i really want to do with my life what my dream is but i also i don't think i have to decide right now i just want to try a lot of different things and I want to try everything because if I if I focused on one thing you know I can't really uh, see different things for example mm-hmm. if I just want to be a teacher that'll be the only thing that I will be focused on I cannot see any other options but when I were when I started living in when I started living in Malaysia I had no dream, I had no goal, I had no perspective. So I could see everything like 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. want to be living my life like that for a little while. Right. I don't want to be doing it, you know, when I'm 80 years old, but mm-hmm. I'm still 30 years old. So yeah, my goal is to try as many things as, as possible. Right. Well, in that way, like... I can. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I write my comedy, uh, my, my jokes. 
you know, experiencing a lot of things. I'm not a type of comedian who would just sit at home, try to come up with comedy. I would rather make a lot of mistakes and make jokes out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to change gears a little bit. Um, we've spoken already about how um, important English, English language has been in your journey. Um, let's talk about English language teaching in Japan, in schools specifically. From what I've seen, Japanese students learn uh, a fairly good uh, range of grammar and also quite a lot of vocabulary. But um, at least in the past, English conversation, English communication has not been a priority in Japanese schools. What do you think? The thing is, um, the English education in Japan is pretty much uh, all focused on the grammar yes. and uh, memorizing a lot of words that mm -hmm. they would never use in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in my classes, I would uh, often tell my kids that English is some similar to like cooking. Mm. So there's a purpose first. Like if you want to make curry, mm -hmm. you just try to collect the ingredients that you need. For example, carrots, uh, potatoes, uh, pork meat, and then curry powder, and mm -hmm. you can make curry. Mm -hmm. So there's a purpose that you want to make curry so that you know you just collect things that you need for it. Then you make curry, then you can enjoy eating the curry. But what what is like what it is like you know to learn english is like for example to make a curry which is like speaking with foreigners uh, mm -hmm. in the real world you know you have to memorize the names of all the ingredients and stuff in this world like for example not just potatoes carrots you have to uh, remember the names of uh, this weird mushroom from india or you have to memorize the names of like everything, every food in this world. Mm. And after you collected all the things from all, all, all over the world, you don't know which one to use just for curry. But mm -hmm. if you just collected potato, carrots and uh, meat and curry powder, and you can cook it and you can eat it. But in Japanese uh, English education, they just focused on like getting all the ingredients from all over the world and they never cook <laughs> they never <laughs> use them because they don't have to use them That's a good and analogy. this is so so yeah i i kind of describe the english education in that way mm. but you know what's the point of cooking that's to eat to enjoy the thing that you cook mm -hmm. and that's the most uh that's the fun part. That's what you enjoy. But, you know, in Japan, every kid uh, tries to get all the ingredients from all over the world and they never eat it. So what's the point? What's the fun part? It's never fun. That's why uh, that's why uh, mm. English is hated in Japan because it's no fun. They never enjoy it. They never eat mm. the actual dish. 
Why is it taught that way? That sounds more like mathematics or science than communications. That's the exact point. The English education in Japan is not to be able to like communicate with、uh, another people. It's for exams. So and in the exams, they are not measuring the ability to speak English. They are measuring the ability、uh, to study. Well, they were told to study. So, for example, if、uh, they were told to memorize these 100 words, and they're they're seeing, the examiners are seeing if they they can do it, if they will do it. Of course, you know those 100 words they will never use in the real life talking with another people. But I guess it's just. It's all about the exams and scores and grades. So they're just learning English to get good grades, to get good scores on the exams. But、Ooh. those words are useless. Those exams are useless. Yeah, but that's how it is in Japan. It's all about going, getting a good job or going to a good school. And yeah. So every time I teach them some useful phrases. Or useful words, useful like slang.、Mm. They would, they would, they would often ask me, "Hey, teacher, is it going to be on the exam? Hey, does it <laughs> anything to, does it have anything to do with、uh, my grade?" Then I would say, "Yes, it has a lot of things to do with your grade of your freaking life,、right. not the paper, though." Because that's the English that they can actually use、uh, in a daily conversation, you know, to interact with the foreigners. But the only thing they care is their grades, their scores on the exams.、Hmm. But I often tell them like, "Who will give you the grades when you die?" That's not me. That's not teachers. That's not your boss at work. That's yourself. Right. Does it make sense? It makes... I shouldn't be doing that as a teacher because I'm the one to give them grades. But you know, I don't like it when they are too much focused on their grades and scores. And when I actually teach them useful phrases, interesting slang, and stuff, the only thing they care、uh, is the grades or scores, or if those phrases will be on the exam.、Hmm. So I would say yes, that'll be. On the exam of your life in the future. <laughs> Meanwhile, they are... they they all watch、um, American movies, so they get out of school with broken English and perfect expletives. That's not a recipe for linguistic success.、Uh, no, not at all.、Mm. Back to recipes. <laughs> Is there well, also、um, a problem about lack of opportunity to speak English? In Japan absolutely, absolutely. Because,、um, yeah, you you actually don't have to speak English to live in Japan. I mean, you obviously have to speak Japanese, but we don't have to speak English、mm-hmm. to work in Japan, to live a normal life here. It's、mm-hmm. an island, and most of the people are like Japanese. Yeah, living here is totally different from Canada.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, for example, I I learned English in a hard way, because、um, in the university I I learned English、uh, somehow, but when I started traveling,、uh, my English was 
because I, my English was not that good.、Mm-hmm. And then I started working at the bar owned by an American guy. So it was really tough for me. But I learned English in a hard way like that. I, I had to speak English. Otherwise,、mm-hmm. I could have been shot. Like, seriously, I could die. I could lose my job. So I had to study English. I had to speak English. I had to communicate with.、Uh, Uh, the owner, the customers, and、uh, the manager, the other manager. So, yeah, without that kind of struggle or、uh, crazy stuff, it's, I think it's kind of hard to、uh, learn a language without an opportunity、uh, where you speak the language or you die. <laughs> sure. Necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity, that's the word, yeah. Yes.、Uh, English language has been such a huge part of your life. If you were, let me ask this question another way, I guess. If you were giving a lecture in front of a very big auditorium of students,、um, what would you tell them in order to motivate them to wish to, to want to learn more or study harder? As a teacher or as an English teacher? To motivate them to study English or to motivate、mm, them to study、question. in general? What do I mean?、Uh, as Shuhei Murakami. Okay.、Um, well, to be really honest, I hope <laughs> none of my colleagues are listening to it. <laughs>、um, uh, to be honest, I think it's meaningless、mm. to go to school.、Oh. In, In,、um, not in general, but not every school. There might be some good schools, but at the moment, I don't think they have to come to the school. I mean, I'm being a cool teacher, but overall, the Japan's、uh, educational system is not really, I can't find a word great. <laughs> I would just、mm. put it in that way. So, And the reason is that they're not motivated to study. They, they never enjoy studying. They hate studying, but they're forced to come to school every freaking day. Yes. And they are doing what they don't want to do for like six hours every single day. Right. Plus homework.、Hmm. Well, but. I'm pretty sure the government is doing it because, yeah, they are just trying to produce the same people. They'll do the same things that,、mm-hmm. you know, those who can do the same thing every day to pay the same amount of tax every day,、mm-hmm. which is great、uh, to manage a country. But it's, it's meaningless if they don't enjoy doing what they're doing, if they don't. Enjoy studying while they're studying. So、mm-hmm. I'm not focused on the grammar. I mean, I can I teach grammar, but that's not my、uh, focus. I mean, I just want them to get interested in English. And through my experience, I want them to know that with English, you know, there will be no limit. I mean, they can. Go wherever they want in this world. They can interact with wherever,、uh, whoever they want to interact with. And 
Um, so I would try anything to motivate them to get interested in English. And if they enjoy, if they start enjoying English, they don't know, they don't need me. They don't need anything. They don't need a textbook. They don't, you know. So I got interested in music with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Then even though I didn't go to school, here I am, you know. So, yeah, I just want them to find something that they enjoy so that they will be motivated to learn things about it or, you know, they will be motivated um, to study about it. But otherwise, um, if they don't like studying, I would say they don't have to study because I didn't like studying then I didn't study. But at one point, I found myself. Uh, I found something that I really wanted to get into. So I would say, try anything that they want to, you know, try anything that you want to try, and don't limit yourself. Don't try to find one dream or goal of your life that will limit, you know, your life. For example, if you know. A student wanted to be a salesman. Yes. <laughs> then, then if he was focused on being a, a salaryman, that'd be the only goal and that'd be the only path of his or her precious short life. But I don't want them to limit their lives like that. But of course, uh, in Japan's educational systems, there are period. For example, I'm teaching the third grade mm-hmm. uh, in junior high school, which is ninth grade in America. Mm-hmm. So they have to decide which schools, which school to go, and what they want to do in high school. Without going to high school, I would never know what I want to do in high school. Then they have to also decide what they want to do in the future, what kind of job they have to do in the future. Without even graduating a uh, junior high school, <laughs> junior high school. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, lately one student came over to me, saying like, "Hey, Shu Sensei, I don't know what I want to do with my life." Then I then he was, you know, um, scared of his life because mm-hmm. he hadn't determined you know what he wanted to do in the future. So I said, "Wow, that's great! You have unlimited." options <laughs> right yeah you can do anything because you don't know what you want to do so you can try anything then he was like is that so really then yeah his eyes got brighter like really i could see some sparkles in his eyes mm-hmm. but mm, i can say that because of my because of what i've been through but <laughs> But I totally forgot that I struggled a lot. <laughs> there, there was a time of period where I couldn't eat anything. I was a homeless. <laughs> I shouldn't encourage them to do it. But at the same time, I really want to say that they don't have to decide what they want to do, you know, in their lives at the age of 14 or 15. Mm. One guy, th- there was one another kid here. He wanted to be a carpenter but he came over to me and he said uh i'm not sure if i will be a good carpenter so maybe i will 
I will be something else. I'm like, how do you know if you'll be a good carpenter without being a carpenter first? Right. Yeah. So. But that's how it is in Japan. You know, they're scared of, scared of uh, going for their actual dr- actual dreams. Then I know it because once I gave up on becoming a musician mm. in Japan, but I became a musician elsewhere. So that's another option if you if you can speak English. Right. The possibilities open up. Mm-hmm. And your advice at that assembly would be to quote literature which you studied at university, gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying. And this same rose that flowers today, tomorrow, will be dying. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful, but that's not something that I learned at the university. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. Mm. Great, yeah. If there were one thing about Japan that you wish more people outside of Japan knew, what would that be? Me? (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, I'm helping. I'm helping. (laughs) We'll get you out there. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. But yeah, uh, I can't think of one right now. But I can say that there are things that I want Japanese people to know about the world outside Japan. I see. It's otherwise, though. Hmm. Yeah, I want Japanese people to see a different world where they they don't live for work, they work for a living. Mm. I want them to see that kind of world. Mm. I'm going to end on this. If you were writing your memoirs of your life and you had to write down the three biggest lessons you've learned through all of your wild experiences what would those three lessons be? If you were, let me put it another way. If you, right now, were writing the book that you, as a high school student, were going to read, what would be the lessons that you would tell that younger Shuhei? Well, the thing is, I'm too young to do it. I mean, a lot of a little people around me uh, say that I should write a book, but I think I'm too young. I'm still too young to do it. I, I want to experience a lot more things before I, you know, write my story. And um, so three lessons, uh, yes. three things that I would want to tell the little shoe. Yeah. Maybe nothing. Uh, I would say maybe nothing. There's nothing that I want to teach my little shoe. Because I wouldn't listen. <laughs> and I'd, I didn't want anybody to tell me, like, anything. Hmm. Maybe that's that's how I became I am right now. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I try to do everything in my own way, in a hard way. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm still alive, but it's been really hard. So uh, I might not have three, but I might have one. This is what I uh, tell my kids when I teach them uh, the infinitive, infinitive uh, uh, form, like mm-hmm. I go to school to study or 
I go to supermarket to buy stuff.、Mm-hmm. And my my example, the example that I write on the blackboard is first I write I have nothing because I had nothing right when I started living in Cambodia. I had I had no money. I had no friends there.、Right. Uh, I had nothing. So it looks pretty miserable, right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had nothing, <laughs> a homeless guy. But I add two words after that: I have nothing to lose.、Mm-hmm. And that was the period of time.、Uh, that was a period where, when I was, mm, mm, when I was the strongest. Mm. Of my life, because I had nothing, which sounds pretty miserable. But at the same time, that means I had nothing to lose. Now I have some money to lose, <laughs>、yes. and、uh, now I have some stuff to lose. So you know, I'm not as strong as I was when I was 22 years old, having nothing.、Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm kind of. Feeling uncomfortable right now because it's hard to stay hungry、mm-hmm. when you have a steady job and you, when you're a teacher, which is a civil servant、uh, yes. in Japan, and、yes. getting some steady income every month. You work or you don't work, or you know you ha- you do a good lesson or you do not. You get the same amount of money. That's my first experience of my life,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and、uh, now I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can drink anything that I want to drink. I, I'm feeling uncomfortable with it, <laughs> stupidly. Yeah. So、um, it's, but I, I want to stay hungry. So looking at looking back at my experience, my my past few years, yeah, when I had nothing.、Um, Oh, I could do anything because I had nothing to lose. I had, I had nothing to lose means I had a lot of things to win. I had a lot of things to achieve.、Yeah. Just like when you started studying for university. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it couldn't go worse than that because I was, you know, at the bottom. So you can only go up from the bottom. If you are on top, you can only go down. Right. It doesn't really make sense, though. You know, if you,、uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not encouraging everyone to lose everything first. So, but yeah, in my whole life, when I lost everything, was the was the time I learned a lot of things, and when that's when I was the most creative in my whole life, I, I guess. Because I had to be creative to survive, you know. I had to have a lot of ideas of how to survive, how to get a job, how to eat, how to drink, how to sleep at night.、Mm. Well, I think that is a good place to end.、Um, get your creativity back and get back on stage, Shuhei, because you're really funny. Thanks. <laughs> My life is funny, <laughs> so I would try to make you know some good comedy out of it. Thank you very much for joining us on the Ronjiro Japan podcast, and all the best to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to it, and thank you, Jason.
Thanks for joining us on the Ronjiro Japan podcast. For more insights on Japan from people who know Japan, be sure to subscribe to the podcast right now and check out our website at www.ronjirujapan.com. That's www.ronjirujapan.com. Links to all our content are on the website and in the description for this episode, including links to Facebook and Twitter and our YouTube channel, which also has a variety of videos in addition to regular episodes. Please subscribe, follow, and share. I look forward to talking to you again in the next episode. From Ronjiro Japan in Tokyo, I've been your host JT. Until next time, o genki dene.